0: Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin has six lines to fit your style and financing to fit any budget. Through November 30th, choose 12 months no payments and no interest, plus
1: 20% off installation. Set your free consultation now at PellaWI.com.
2: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good
3: afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the program. So glad to have you with us. President Biden will be addressing the nation about one30 uh, the, the latest message on COVID, it apparently, I, I do not think the president's going to be calling for shutdowns or anything of the like. He is going to be, again, stressing the, the need for people to get vaccinated or boosted, if that's appropriate. And I, I as I've said before, I believe that is that is that is very, very good advice. The, the one thing that I think maybe the president will do, at least I hope he does, I, I think we need to... Shift our, shift our focus on on COVID because originally there was this thought that COVID was going to go away. That by the time, you know, we got the vaccinations, that it would just disappear. And, and that's what Biden in February, he's doing town halls saying, well, hopefully by Christmas, this is going to all be over. And of course, it's it's not over. And arguably, it's getting worse. And we're going to get to a certain point where there's going to be more deaths from COVID since Joe Biden's been president than there were when Donald Trump w- was president. So th- that's th- the idea that COVID is going to disappear I think we're seeing that that is just not a realistic thing. That doesn't mean it's all bad news, though, because this latest variant that is out there, one of the things that they are starting to see, and it's all preliminary, but they're starting to see that this is, especially for people who are vaccinated and or boosted, the, it's not as bad. The, the cases and the situations, especially if you're vaccinated and boosted, are milder than the previous versions of of COVID. So the, I think what we're going to have to start focusing on this country is, in this country is instead of Looking at the number of COVID cases that that come down the the pipe. Because we don't really focus on the number of people that have a cold. I understand COVID is different than cold. We don't focus necessarily on the number of people who have the flu. We focus on the people who are adversely affected. Okay, how many people have to be hospitalized because the cold has turned into pneumonia? How many people have to be hospitalized because of the flu? And I, I think as we move forward, maybe the better Analysis as COVID mutates is going to be, all right, how many people, how many people are hospitalized? How many people die as a result of this as a way of measuring how severe this is? Because if the standard is going to be, we want COVID to go away. I think one of the things we're seeing is, is COVID is not going to go away. What we need to do is figure out how to get it from a pandemic, where you have the hospitals that are overwhelmed and things like that, to something that, you know, people figure out how to live with, because I don't think you're going to be able to eradicate it. And that's why for people to get vaccinated and boosted, we see that there's no question that the vast majority of the people who are in the hospital, not everybody, the vast majority of the people who are hospitalized are people who are unvaccinated or unboostered. And and that's kind of the the argument. I think the reality, though, and maybe this is just personal, because I'm starting to know more and more people who are vaccinated and or boosted who've had, you know, bounced through, I don't think we can call them breakthrough cases anymore, because for a while when it was Delta, it was rare that somebody would come down with COVID after they'd been vaccinated or had a booster. Now I think it's it's starting to be more prevalent that you get it. But in the cases of everybody I know that's gotten it again, knock on wood, it's been very, very mild, very, very mild. So I, I think maybe we need to sort of start to reclassify how we view COVID for the vast majority of people. Now, obviously, and it's unfortunate, there are people that are in the particularly vulnerable categories. Well, I mean, that get just like getting the pneumonia, getting pneumonia or getting a severe case of the flu, getting a case of COVID, you know, could end up being uh, just a a devastating sort of thing. But for the vast majority of people, it's not that way. It's not to say that we have to minimize it. It's just to say that, that maybe we need to Change our thinking for this, and say, okay. As we try to measure how bad this really is, let's look at the hospitalizations. New York City, for example, that's just getting ravaged by um the Omicron. The the, the one good news, if you want to put that in quotation marks, is that that the hospitalizations are not up dramatically. They're, they're matter of fact, they're they're way below where they were like a year ago. So before the vaccine started to get rolling out. So, I mean, that's that's at least a silver lining that's out there, which isn't to say that anybody wants to get COVID. So it'll be interesting to see what the president says this afternoon, and we will talk about that. Now, we're not going to spend the whole program on COVID, but I do want to start off with something that I think has become interesting. One of the things that the president's going to say is he wants to make free, at-home, Covid tests available to everybody, five hundred million at home covid tests and that 's all well and good. I think you know testing is is one of the the keys if you if people can figure out even if they they feel fine and they have no symptoms, but you know you take a test and you figure out okay i 've still got this anyways that gives you a chance to quarantine and maybe not go out and maybe not spread the disease so i 'm not really against the testing as a concept, but my question to you is. Where does this start and when do you get tested? For, for example, I know a handful of people that I've had this conversation with within the last 48 hours. These are people who are vaccinated. These are people who in all cases have had their boosters. And over the last couple days, th- this is what I've heard. I don't know, I'm thinking of going getting tested for COVID. Gee, tell me why. Well, I, I woke up the other day and I, I kind of had a, I, I had a runny nose. Okay, well, I'm just curious. You know, it's in December in Wisconsin. You know, think back to other December's in Wisconsin. If you had a runny nose? Well, yeah, I had a runny nose because you know, like the weather changes and stuff like that. Oh, okay, that that's fine. Talk to somebody else who said, you know, I'm thinking about getting tested for COVID. And I said, okay, tell me why. Well, last night I had a headache. I said, okay, um, was it a particularly bad headache? No, it wasn't. Do, do you have, have you ever had headaches before? Well, yeah, occasionally I get headaches. And, you know, I, sometimes it's when the barometric pressure changes and my sinuses kind of act up. I get a sinus headache. Okay, you know, fine. Why do you think this is COVID? Do you have, you know, there's like 12 symptoms of COVID. Do you have anything else? No, but I've had a headache um somebody else was saying well you know the other night i i felt felt a little bit nauseous you know and and said okay well did you have a fever no i didn't have a fever did you have a cough no did you have a sore throat no did you have a runny nose no no i had a i felt a little bit nauseous i i think maybe i'm going to get go tested for covid and 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 the beat goes on and on and on now the reality is that right now you know i i don't know the ability of of being able to to get these at-home tests. I know a lot of pharmacies are sold out. I know that there are long lines and waiting times, not just to get vaccinated, not just to get a booster, but if you just want a regular COVID test, good luck. Be prepared to wait for a few hours. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I want to be real clear here. I am not anti-testing at all. And I guess I sit here and I think, if you've got symptoms or if, if you've been directly exposed to somebody that, that's had COVID, you know, your, your daughter comes home and says she's got COVID or something like that and she's been in the house or you've been in close contact with like one of your coworkers or something like that. Yeah. I, I, I get it. You want to check on that. But otherwise, at what point in time? when you're dealing with what I would just describe as some of these sort of seasonal things. Gee, I woke up, I had a runny nose. Well, okay, I go outside, it's 25 degrees, I walk the dog, I come back in, I've got a little bit of a runny nose. Otherwise, I, I feel fine. No fever, no sore throat. Uh, are we overdoing the testing situation? 855 616 And I guess the reason I bring this up is because our we, we want to be really cautious about COVID. There's, there's no question about it. But for people who are vaccinated, for people who are boosted, for people who haven't had like that close contact or things like that, when when you wake up with that that, that headache or I've got a na- pain in in the neck or something like that, or, or you know, I, I just I've got a little bit of a nausea, nausea. Do you run to get tested or do, do we need to... Maybe avoid a complete widespread panic on this. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. And when I ask this question, say this, in no way am I saying that, you know, if you don't feel good, you you shouldn't be out in public. And if you've got symptoms of COVID, you you certainly should be getting tested. My question is, at what point in time, every time we wake up with a sniffle, do we automatically now in today's day and age assume that that is COVID and run for the at-home test or run to the clinic to get checked out? We discuss in just a minute.
2: Back for more. Here's WTMJ's
3: Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, when when do you go get the, the COVID test? And and I was telling this, I, I can't tell you how many people I, I know they said in the last two or three days who have come down with I don't even say it, it's, it, who are vaccinated who are boosted, who wake up and say, gosh, I, I've got, I've got a sniffle or I've, I've got a headache. Um, and I, maybe it's COVID. And, and so it's like, let, let's rush to get COVID tested. And, and I'm, I'm not anti testing. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not. But at some point in time, every time we have a, I don't know, every time you cough, every time you, you have that sniffle, is that going to be what motivates you? Now, I had COVID in November of 2020, over a year ago before the vaccinations and stuff. And, and I actually felt fine, knock on wood. Uh, the one thing that was an indicator is I had a fever. One night, had a fever. The fever went down, but I, I went in. My wife said, okay, you've got the fever. All right, but so for me, that's what the symptom was. But if I wake up in the morning and I've got a little bit of a sinus headache because this is that time of year that happens, am I irresponsible if I don't go get tested? Now, here's here, here's an interesting text I have. Jeff, I have said, this from the beginning. If we want to get COVID under control, we need to have at-home testing for every single person. When you wake up in the morning and brush your teeth, you take a COVID test. And if it's negative, you go about your day. That is the only way we will get this pandemic under control. Hmm. Okay. So, I mean, as a practical matter, I I don't know. I mean, I, I have... I have a a routine, you know. I get up in the morning. When I go up into the bathroom, you know, I, I got a I got some medicine I take on a daily basis. I brush my teeth. I grab the um, the, the water pick. Do that. Floss my teeth. Shave. Um, you know, dry my hair. All that sort of stuff. Okay. Are, are we now? Do we expect people to also on a daily basis, no symptoms, administer a COVID test? And and at some point in time, it's like, well, I, I get it in in theory but people just aren't going to do that. Jeff, I've been tested twice for COVID, once before surgery a year ago required, and September when my roommate came back from visiting his dad in Indiana and got sick with fever, et cetera, et cetera. Both of us tested negative. Neither of us have been vaccinated. Um, Jeff, you get tested, so if you know you have COVID, if you know you're positive, you stay home. That way you don't spread it. You have to have respect for concerns for others. All right. Well, that, that's, that raises the question then, which is, how often do you get tested? If, as they think now, um, that this new variant, that as many as, and I've seen the numbers that are floating around here, but South Africa says it might be that as many as 40% of the people who have this are asymptomatic. So does that then mean, is this going to be the new standard that, again, on a daily basis, that people are going to wake up and they're going to just as part of their routine day that you're you're going to test yourself for COVID or at least screen. That's what these tests are. It's kind of a screening thing. And if you test positive, then you go in and you get tested. I mean, is that is that is that practical? Is that realistic? Given the fact that I, I I don't know that. I mean, again, anytime you have a sniffle or in the case of some of our texters, they don't think that you should have to even wait for that. Doesn't matter. You go get tested. I, again, if, if I if I felt bad, if I had a fever, uh, if I had multiple symptoms of COVID, no question about it, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get tested. As a practical matter, though, am I going to do it every day simply because, gee, last night I had a sinus headache? I mean, is that practical advice to give to the American people? Let's talk to Kathy in Whitefish Bay. Hi, Kathy.
0: Hi. Um, I think a lot of unvaccinated people will use it so they can go to certain venues, like see the Nutcracker, see music venues, go to certain restaurants. I met a couple who said they were taking their entire family, seven grandkids and two sets of parents and them as grandparents. And they said, yep, we all went and got tested because we don't want to get vaccinated. Mm hmm. So to me, it's a lot of money wasted if people would just get vaccinated. I, as a vaccinated person, would get vaccinated i uh, would get tested i knew i was going to be around somebody high risk
3: okay so if you with that, that was going to be my question so you're vaccinated let's say you wake up tomorrow and you've got a stuffed nose n- no fever no no congestion just you have got you've got a stuffed nose um is that going to cause you to get tested for covid are you going to assume covid or maybe hey i've just got a stuffed nose
0: I won't get tested unless I know I'm going to be around other people that may uh, be affected by me, and then I would get tested. So right. I'm going to sit home all day and not do anything? No. And I would probably try to see what I have. But I think a lot of people will take, unvaccinated, will take advantage of this. Yeah, no, that? Uh, you know. right. well, th- thanks for calling.
3: Right, well, thanks for calling. I mean, I guess. see, and, I, and that's... Oh, look, I, as I, I have said repeatedly, I, I'm pro-vaccination. I'm vaccinated. I, I'm boosted. Um, and, and I think, I think as a result of that, the, my, the likelihood that I'm going to get sick again, it's not non-existent, but that it's, 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 it is minimal. Um, and certainly I think it's extremely minimal, the opportunity that I'm going to get sick and I'm going to end up in the hospital. That's why I, I did all this stuff. I, I do wrestle with whether some of our advice, though, is counterproductive. If we tell people get vaccinated, get boosted, okay, that, that's important, but then you need to give yourself a COVID test any day, anyways, any day, every day, even if you have no real symptoms at all or or no sort of material symptoms. And at, at some point in time, and here's my concern. The American people are going to tune out. I, I understand, in theory, th- this idea that, like one of our texters said, okay, it should just be part of your day. Give yourself, test yourself every day before you go about your your day well people aren't going to do that that that's just in the real in the real world we can only get 60 percent of the people to get vaccinated in the real world we can only get 25 or 30 percent of those people who've been vaccinated to get their boosters you're going to tell me that we're going to seriously say to people vaccinated unvaccinated we want you to give yourself at home tests when you have no other symptoms Again, at some point in time, we, we need to figure out the way to fight the pandemic um, and, and at the same time balance that out with, with what is practical in, in the real world. And I do wonder at this point in time that if people who are running into to get tested with no symptoms simply because, well, we, we, we want to check this out, whether or not that's going to clog the system So that those folks who really should be getting tested, you know, that the folks that have three or four of the symptoms of COVID or the people that are going to be, I don't know, they are unvaccinated and they're going to be going into large gatherings or something like that. Those are the people that really, really, really need to get tested. So I understand this theoretical thing that's out there about, hey, let's, let's everybody test themselves, you know, twice a day, every day. How reasonable is that? Obviously, if you don't feel good, you should be staying home. And if you've got symptoms, of covid or you've been exposed to people that have covid well yeah then then you want to you want to get yourself checked out but beyond that how reasonable is any of the rest of this just asking
2: welcome back to jeff wagner on wtmj Here's a text. Jeff, insert
3: eye roll. I totally agree. Not everything is COVID. I have two young children. If someone in our house didn't have a runny nose or slight cough for a week this time of year, I would be absolutely shocked. You know, when we were on our river cruise um, in France, coming back, you you had to now they've changed the rules. Now it has to be a negative test 24 hours before you leave. But that, back then, it was 72 hours. But even at that requirement, it was a pain in the butt. And I'm, I'm not saying we didn't do it, but, but there, it was a pain in the butt to find Someone who's going to make the, a pharmacy that could do the test and they can get you the results in a, prud, a prudent amount of time. It was it was just difficult. And now, if everybody's going to get tested every time they have a sniffle, or every time they think, "Oh, oh, gee, I, I've got that ah, a little bit of a scratchy throat here," are we, do we really have the capabilities in testing to do that? And if we do it that way, are we going to discourage people who really should get, be getting tested from getting tested?
0: Welcome back to Jeff
3: Wagner on WTMJ. Please join Good Karma Brand, 620 WTMJ, in the 3rd Street Market Hall for United for Waukesha charity event this Wednesday, December 22nd. That would be tomorrow. Your $100 ticket includes food samples from the future 3rd Street Market Hall vendors, steak from Carnivore, and two drink tickets for the bar. Plus, former Brewers all-star catcher Jonathan Lucroy will be in attendance. The event will take place on Wednesday from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m., with 100% of the proceeds benefiting those affected by the tragedy at this year's Waukesha Christmas Parade. For tickets or additional information, text the word TICKET to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line 855-616-1620. All right. I was... um Listening to my friend and colleague, Steve Scafidi, this morning talk about an issue, and this may surprise you because of positions I have taken in the past on this individual, but I I completely and totally disagree with Steve Scafidi about what he said this morning with regard to John Chisholm. Now, by, by way of background, there is a procedure in Wisconsin state law which allows the governor to remove an elected district attorney for inefficiency, neglect of duty, official misconduct, or malfeasance in office. And and this is triggered, this ability is triggered if you get a citizen petition. This has been used extremely rarely in the state of Wisconsin. And typically, it is in a situation where you have a district attorney who has committed a a crime himself or herself, you know, so is involved in a crime, has maybe gotten involved in such a severe conflict of interest in running his office or her office that it turns out to be, you know, um, malfeasance. I I mean, maybe when you talk about inefficiency, it could be to the situation of, all right, you know, maybe there's not processing cases and nothing's getting done. Those would all be things that you would think of. In the case of John Chisholm, none of that applies. Now, now let me just say this clearly. I don't know that there has been a public commentator over the last, well, Chisholm took office in 2007. Since 2007, I don't know that there has been a public commentator who has been harsher on John Chisholm than I have been. I think, in general, the way John Chisholm has run the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office has been a disaster, I think he's been soft on crime. I know a number of people who I used to work with back in another life who just shake their heads at at what goes on in the district attorney's office now. But it's not malfeasance. It's not neglect of duty. It's not misconduct. It is the philosophy that John Chisholm brings to the office. John Chisholm is a very liberal guy, who views has a progressive view of law enforcement. I put that in quotation marks. He thinks that the traditional idea of catching people who commit crimes and putting them in prison for long periods of time, he doesn't believe in that. He he just doesn't. His office is instructed, and his assistant district attorneys are instructed, to find ways to avoid putting the vast majority of people in prison. And that that is the philosophy that he has. He goes around the country and he talks about this philosophy, and it is the philosophy that you see. You know, certain other district attorneys, the DA in San Francisco, the DNA, DA in LA, they share this. This is the new progressive way of thinking. It is the legal system. A DA's office is equivalent of defund the police. The the idea that you know we we want to work on rehabilitation. We don't want to incarcerate people. That's the philosophy they have. All right. And it's the philosophy he's made no secret about. I mean, in 2007, when he was elected, he said, look, this is what I'm going to do with regard to bail and probation and things like that. And I know that somebody who's been released is going to kill someone. I I accept that. And, And he made it clear. It's not like What's been happening in the DA's office should be a surprise to anyone. So that's why I've been talking so much about this with the Daryl Brooks case. Daryl Brooks, of course, being the guy who out on this, what everybody agrees, is a, a, the psychopathic killer who should not have been out on bail in the first place, who drives through the Waukesha Christmas parade. Uh, you know, everybody's outraged about that. But the point... Th- that I've been trying to make is this is not atypical. This is what has been happening in Milwaukee County for the last 10 or 15 years. It is an institutional thing. People are out on bail on a regular basis committing serious crimes, or they're out on probation, or they're out on deferred prosecution, or their cases are awaiting review. And they're out on the street and they're committing crimes. Fox 6, I gave them a lot of credit yesterday. They did this report where they found that of the uh, of the 117 people who have been charged with homicide this year, we're pushing 200 homicides, but they haven't solved a lot of them. Uh, About 20 percent were people who were already out on pretrial release on, in my opinion, ridiculously low bails for crimes, most of which were violent crimes. Right. That that and that's. That is, just as I said yesterday, it's the tip of the iceberg with how bad this is. My guess is if you looked at the car thefts that are going on, you would find that it is a relatively small number of repeat offenders who are turned loose by a catch-and-release court system and a catch-and-release district attorney's office that commit crimes over and over and over again. And the analysis that Fox 6 did with regard to just 100 homicide cases and who's charged with committing them, I guess that. That's the tip of the iceberg. You you know, if you start breaking that down into other crimes and then you start adding in people who are on probation or other sorts of things, you will be shocked at at what is going on. But but we don't. But it's in Chisholm's defense. he, He made no secret of this. It's not like this is an example of inefficiency or neglect of duty or malfeasance or official misconduct. This is his philosophy. And it is a philosophy that I think is dead wrong and that is causing a lot of carnage on the streets of Milwaukee. But it is not a basis for removing an elected official from office. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I, I understand. There is a frustration level that is here. And the fact is that if John Chisholm runs again, He's not up for another three years. People tend to forget. Who knows if he's going to run for reelection again? If he does, he's going to have to justify a lot of the stuff that's happened in 2021 when he runs again, if he does run again in 2024. But this is just the logical implications of what I think are his failed and disastrous policies. It's not a basis for, at least in my opinion, removing him from office. Now, if people are frustrated and people want to do something b- about that, before that, the, the, the remedy they have is to start a recall. I'm not big on recalls because I think elections have consequences. But to expect Tony Evers, just first of all, in, in the real, real world of politics, there's no way that Tony Evers, a powerful Democrat, is going to re- uh, remove John Chisholm, a powerful Democrat in Milwaukee County. That, that's not going to happen. But I, I would argue it shouldn't happen. And, and I, I don't think if it was Republican governor, I would have a different position on this. Because the truth is elections have consequences. And people voted. People returned John Chisholm to, to office a year ago. And it was clear what his Policies were. Now, we didn't know some of the disastrous effects of those policies, but this is nothing new. Okay, let's open up the phone lines. One segment, 855-616-1620. That is the acunate Mortgage talk and text line. I appreciate the frustration that people have. And if you're a regular listener to this program, you, you know that I don't know that there's anybody who voices that frustration with catch and release and these disastrous policies, these pro-criminal policies, than that I do. But, But elections have consequences. And and no, I don't think the governor, I don't think there is a basis for removing John Chisholm. If you want to remove him, somebody runs against him if he runs again in 2024, or people start a recall. I'm not advocating for that, but that's the way you, you do it. You don't expect the governor to boot people out. And part of the problem is, I mean, I don't want, I don't want the Democrat governor of, Wisconsin to then maybe start looking at some conservative prosecutors and say, hey, you took this particular case on. I think you're being too tough on crime. I think you're locking up too many people. I'm going to remove you. It's a very, very slippery slope. If there was evidence that Chisholm committed a crime himself or was running his office in a way that indicated fraud or something like that, that's a different story. But simply policy decisions, which I believe are disastrous, but it, it's—he won the election. He ran for office. He got elected. And it seems to me it's up to the people in this case of Milwaukee County if they choose to remove him from office. Eight five five six one six one six twenty twenty. We discuss.
2: Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
3: Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, this is what people voted for. We are getting exactly what we deserve. Um, yeah. It, don't like it. Vote for somebody else. That, that, that is, that is my point. I, I just, it, what, what happened in, in Waukesha was horrific. It, it was. Um, it's, it's not, Unfortunately, like I say, I don't think it's atypical. And, and I think that, you know, if, if we had a media that really followed this stuff, uh, you would be shocked at the number of people who commit crimes while they're out on bail or out on promotion, uh, probation or, or whatever. It, it is, I believe, a philosophical failure of the system that does not lock up hardcore repeat criminals we we bend over backwards to try to tear people loose and then we ignore the logical consequences of what happens but that's the philosophy that has been expressed that is the philosophy that Milwaukee County voters voted for so at this point in time I, I just oh gee we're, we're shocked that you you take a career criminal um and, and you release him on a ridiculously low bail oh we're, we're shocked that, that something bad happened no this is just this this is this is the guy you've voted for. And this has been the type of stuff that's been going on, in my opinion, for the last 15 years. And if you don't like it, Milwaukee County voters, vote him out next time if he runs again. But I don't think you can look to the governor and say, well, we want you to remove him from office because quite candidly, my guess is Tony Evers agrees with the, the progressive philosophy, not necessarily an individual bail system, bail decision. My guess is that Tony Evers and John um, Chisholm are very, very closely akin in their philosophy of the criminal justice system. That, that's just my guess. But if you don't like it, vote them out. Here's the really scary thing, though, about Milwaukee. My guess is if somebody, let's say the election were next November instead of November of 2024, and Chisholm ran again, my guess is he'd probably be reelected. Cause this is the type of thing that people in Mo- or if he wasn't reelected, it might be somebody who ran who was even further to the left of Chisholm, if that's possible to imagine, and they would win. You you, you get the type of elected officials that you vote for. Jason in Milwaukee, Jason, you're on WTMJ.
4: Uh, hi, Jeff. Hi. You know, I I, I don't usually uh, change my mind based upon uh, what I hear on the radio, but I, I have to. Sing your praise here. You know you make an excellent point, and you did change my mind. It's not malfeasance, and people get the government they deserve, right? Right. And and uh, you're you're absolutely right. This is this is <laughs> this is a philosophy across the board, and you know you can blame it on Soros-based uh, you know uh, prosecutors. I don't really think that's right. true per se, but um, it, it is a philosophy. And uh, unfortunately, there's no way that he is going to be. Remove from office, and, and also, nor is there going to be a recall, because you're right, people get that the government they deserve. Can I, can I make a, a comment? I, I, it's just an aside. You know, you, you did a little blurb for a, for a fundraiser, which is a wonderful thing, but it, it just, uh, my pet peeve is that this keeps being referred to, this Waukesha incident, it's referred to consistently as a tragedy, okay? And, and to me, a tragedy is when a, a, a tornado blows through, And destroys a town or a hurricane happens or or a tsunami you know this should not be referred to regularly as a tragedy this is an this is an act of domestic terrorism and it it just it it just it just grates me you know that this is looked at oh some man just happened you know, well, you know, his car is, you know, went out of control and drove through a parade. I mean, well, I know, but I, I think the word,
3: I mean, I understand. I guess I think the word tragedy All right, how, how uh, since you're on there, I, I'm looking at the. I'm looking at the word. How yeah. how how would you have reworked this sentence? then? OK, this is the sentence. The event will take place on Wednesday from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. with 100 percent of the proceeds benefiting those affected by the tragedy at this year's Waukesha Christmas parade. What what uh, okay, would you have said right, other than tragedy? Hey. <laughs>
4: I would I would say okay I would say the domestic terrorism incident but yes you can't say that I <laughs> okay. understand okay fair okay. enough
3: so, so thanks for no so I get so it so. I, thanks for I, I get it James I'm I, I'm just I mean I and I, I've heard I, I've heard that and I mean I've heard people saying you should refer to this as a massacre or I mean clearly it, it was a tragic event I, I guess sometimes I think we get with all due respect to Jason, we, we get hung up on on language sometimes and, and miss kind of the, the, the bigger picture. In this case, I mean, it, it is it is a tragedy that you had all these loss of life. Now, you're right. It, it wasn't a tragedy caused by the, a tornado or a hurricane or an earthquake or something like that. It was a tragedy that was preventable and candidly, in my opinion, foreseeable if uh, again, we had elected officials who had done their job, but I still, I, I mean, I, I try not to get too hung up on the words. And it, it, by the way, it's a very well-intentioned thing. So if you're planning to go, by all means, go. I guess th- that, that is my, my larger point of this. And it's why I always say elections matter. And it, it's one of the frustrating things out there that a lot of times, you know, People officials, just especially for district attorneys' offices or judges they they run they run unopposed and, and there's no challenge to it and, and candidly, if Chisholm had even if he had an opponent last time, I don't know if he did, it would probably have been maybe somebody from the left they're they're in Milwaukee County. if you want to come out, and you want to run on a tough on crime agenda, and you want to say, hey, I think we need to lock more people up, and I think we need, need to be more aggressive in detaining people. you're not going to win. I mean, I just I don't think that's what a lot of voters in Milwaukee, at least up until recently, I don't think that that's what they wanted to hear. Number of people saying, "Jeff, run for DA in Milwaukee County." No, first of all, I don't live in Milwaukee County anymore. Secondly, life is is way too short. I mean, you if you you want to talk about trying to to have a, a sea change, I mean, you you're you're going to be battling the courts. You're going to be get battling, I think, a lot of people that are in the DA's office. You're going to be battling the public defenders. You're going to be battling members on the county board. You're going to be mem- battling members on the, this common council. I'm not sure that, it, I'm not sure that it, it can be changed at this point in time unless there's just a, a widespread reevaluation of how we've handled crimes in the last 30 years. And candidly, I'm not sure people are willing to do that. But as far as removing John Chisholm from office, Tony Evers, It ain't going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And moreover, I don't think it should happen. And this comes from probably one of Chisholm's harshest critics over the last 15 years.
2: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
3: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. I always love stories like this and your reaction to them. Uh, Verona High School is in Verona, Wisconsin, which is yeah, slightly southwest of Madison. It's about 1,600 kids, so it's not a, it's not a small high school. It's, maybe it's not a huge one, but 1,600 is a pretty good number. Uh, Janesville Parker is a high school on the west side of Janesville. Janesville Parker, um, the most recent numbers I said have found about, about 1200 students. So it's a slightly smaller school than Verona, but it, they're, they're comparable as far as size. It's not like, you know, it's a 150 person high school versus a 1600 person high school. Okay. I bring this up because they, they play, both high schools play interscholastic sports and one of the sports they play is girls basketball. So earlier this month, a couple weeks ago, they, they met, Janesville Parker played Verona High School girls' basketball game. Now, apparently the Janesville Parker girls' basketball team has gone through a a bunch of turmoil or whatever, and this year they only had 12 people that went out for the team, and a lot of those 12 people had never played basketball before, and their best player was injured and all that stuff. So they, they meet in a game. The final score, Verona 106. Janesville Parker 11, <laughs> 106 and 11. And uh, this, this outcome has, at least in some sp- circles, inspired outrage. Um, people are, are saying, and I'm looking at like one commentator in particular who is just absolutely from Janesville, who's absolutely outraged that this type of score could be allowed to occur and, and making arguments that the Verona coach you know, is, is at fault. And the Verona coach should have done something to stop the score from increasing. Now, now here's apparently what happened. In, in this game, in the first half, and the first half ended up like 57 to three, the Verona team did press after made baskets. And obviously the Janesville Parker team could not cope with that press. After halftime, what they did was they, they, they stopped pressing. So there's no pressing. Also, what they would do is they would substitute. So it's not like this was a deal where you had like one superstar player and, and you played that guy, that player, so he could score six touchdowns. They would substitute five players at a time. So, you know, they they just shift in and out. No Verona player well, the high score scored 18, then they had another one scored 15, another one scored 15, another one scored 13, another one scored 10, another one scored 10. So it, it wasn't like this was, hey, we have this one superstar and we're going to feed her the ball and she's going to score 80 points. So the, the scoring was well distributed among this. In the second half, they they had a running clock. So it, you know, it's in other words, you know, normally, you know, after a foul or after a ball is thrown out of bounds or whatever, they stop the clock, let's put it in play. They just ran the clock. But even with doing all that stuff, it still turned out to be 106 to 11. And there are some commentators out there that are just, you know, criticizing this sort of lopsided loss. Now, the the coach at Verona Is not apologizing. She said, Look, I think our team played, you know, really well. Our coaching staff would never tell the players to lay off the gas in in a game. She went on to kind of imply that she thought at the end some of the Janesville Parker players weren't trying that hard. And I can understand. Maybe you get, you know, discouraged about stuff like that. But she says, Look, I'm not, I'm not apologizing for this. You know, we, we're there to play th- this game. Now, some of the stuff I'm seeing, they're saying, well, they, they should have stopped trying to score. And in the second half, what they should have done is they should have said that they would pass the ball to each other 10 times before somebody took a shot or not take a layup or not do any of those types of things to stop from running up the score. Our number 855-616-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. I, I'm sorry. I, I don't I don't buy this. I'm sure it's no fun to be on the, the losing end of a whooping like that. All right. But this is high school athletics. And in this particular situation, if if this is a problem, well, well maybe this is something that the WIAA should address by, by putting in a, in a mercy rule. I don't think you can tell people that that they shouldn't try to compete. I don't think, and this comes from the perspective of somebody who, if he played high school sports, would have been on that third team. I would have been the guy at the end of the bench. I, I don't think you can tell that third team, that, that, that player that comes in, the, the person that warms the bench, oh, well, we're going to bring you in, but this is a blowout, so we don't want you to try your hardest. We don't want you to try to score. We don't want you to shoot. That, that that to me, is candidly almost more, it's not fair to the, the people that are playing. If you're on that court playing, I think you have an obligation and you should be trying to do your best. And if we're worried about lopsided scores for whatever reason, there's all sorts of easy ways to take care of it. One is, like they did in this case, to just run the clock. If that doesn't stop it, put in a mercy rule. I'm okay with that. They, they do it in Little League, for example. If we're worried about it, you know, once you get... 40 points ahead. Once you get 50 points ahead, whatever that is, just say the game is over. And, and that then stops people if they're worried that they're getting humiliated. But if you're going to have a game and you're going to be playing competitively, how do you tell, number one, the players on the winning team, don't do your best, don't try hard? And secondly, I, if I was on the losing team and all of a sudden I see the players on the winning team who aren't trying that hard that that's to me almost worse. It's like they're mocking you, they're just passing the ball around. you can't get it, they're not going to shoot eight five five six one six one six twenty that's the accurate mortgage talk and text line. Do you fault a team in this case for? I don't know if it's fair to say running up the score, should the winning team have decided we're essentially going to stop trying in the second half to try to make sure we only win by 40 points instead of by almost 100. 855-616-1620. I don't think so. What do you think?
0: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620.
3: That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, I agree with you. It's not fair to fault the coach or to tell Verona players not to play their best. My husband coaches a recreational 10-year-old basketball team. We have a bunch of players that have never played before. We pretty much get our butts kicked every week. However, my husband is teaching the boys the fundamentals and never, ever have these boys not given 100% regardless of how badly they're getting beaten. We have to remember that losing has its own lessons as well, Jeff. The best response I ever heard about this was from a losing coach. Coach Sue said, "It's our job to keep the score down, not theirs." <laughs> and I guess that's that's sort of you know it. Now some people are say, you know, why why you know why did they stop pressing you know well they stopped pressing after the the first half and they were ahead by 50 some oh, okay maybe you said we should have done that in the first you know quarter or whatever but if that's how they play i mean is it really is it really on the winning team to figure out, okay, we, we have to tell people that we're not going to play as hard? And and again, as I said earlier, from the perspective of somebody who, if I was getting into the game, I would be that guy at the end of the bench. I'd only be the guy getting into the game if the team was up 40 or 50 points. So I finally get my chance to play, and you want to say, okay, Jeff, you've got a shot. Don't take it, because you know we want you to stall. If we're worried about blowouts, then just put in the mercy rule, it, then this whole issue goes away. Now I, I think you could argue maybe that that's maybe more more insulting to the, the losing team, but if that's the concern, let instead of telling people not to play, or that you have to just play half-heartedly or whatever, just say after you're up by 40 or after you're up by 50, that's the game. Boom, we we all go home. I'm cool with that, but you know, if you're going to play the game and you're putting in the substitutes, and that's why I was looking at the scoring. And like I say, it's not like this Verona team had one superstar player who they put in to, to rack up points after points after points. They were all... Evenly, you know, spread out. The, the highest one had eighteen. Um, almost all the players scored more than. There was like a half dozen scored more than eleven points. But I mean, what what are you going to tell these people? Don't don't play. I'm sorry. I just don't think that's the purpose of it. Tony in Milwaukee. Tony, or on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi.
5: Jeff, first of all, I can't believe a team is that terrible. <laughs> well, I know, but, well, also, that's
3: one of the reasons I look. It, it actually, I mean, the, the high schools are comparable. Most times when you see these blowouts, it's, you know, a, a school that has 200 kids playing a school that has 2,000. You know, Janesville Parker, I, I think, used to be a basketball powerhouse. Um, Obviously not Correct. anymore. Yeah. yeah.
5: But, Jeff, you know, if it was my team, I would have smashed them. And I don't care how much I beat them by, I would have my subs in. And if the subs played that good, I'd be thrilled to death that they're playing so well and give them a lot of experience, you know, and, and just like you said, the mercy rule, put that in. If it's, Games like this.
3: Well, right. I mean, exactly. And if that if that's a concern, I, I am fine with that. Uh, this is from Mike in Marquette, Michigan. Many years ago, I covered a basketball game where Hurley blew out Butternut 110-13. to The game was well out of hand at halftime, just like this one was, and Hurley's starters were pulled. I felt bad for Hurley, who, despite playing loose on defense and passing the ball to run out the clock, Butternut still couldn't score. Parents were angry at that nonetheless. Um Jeff, um, in our high school conference, stopping the clock is the mercy rule. Um, well, So that's Jeff. Um, I agree with you. Don't rack up the score. But on the positive side, just think how much fun the winning team had. I See, I don't even know if it was that. I mean, I think at some point in time, maybe when you're playing against an opponent that's so very overmatched, you, you feel bad about it. They should have just called the game. But, but they did, there's no apparent provisions for that, so they did use the running clock, which would have kept this down. If they hadn't used the running clock, who knows how many points would have been scored. But is it the fault of the, the winning team? Uh, let's talk to Dan. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi,
5: hello. So, uh, first of all, I guess I'd like to explain WIA does have a mercy rule if you are winning by 40 or more points in after the nine minute mark in the second half, the clock runs and it never stops uh, right. all the way to the end.
3: Well, that's not by, by, by mercy um, rule, I mean, you just end the game like in little league. Yeah. They, they did use the running clock, I think for a, a good chunk sure. of the second half. Yeah.
5: Yep. So I, I coached six years of varsity basketball and we were a solid team. And I can tell you, there's a whole bunch of games where I walked into the game and I knew I was going to win by 30 points. And my take on this is if, there was absolutely no need to press for the entire half and completely embarrass the other team by being up 57 to 3. I think that could have been handled with slightly more class. And I think that if you end the game in the 80s or low 90s and you go home, it's not a headline. But to go hunt, you know, to hit the 100, celebrate on the ashes of your opponent, uh, I just think it could have been handled with more class. And I can tell you, I'd have never. Wanted to sign my name to a victory like that.
3: So, at what point in time do you do you call off the dogs? And, and, and explain to me how you do that. i mean, it's a sincere question. So, you're, you're head by you head by 35 or 40 points. You're going to win. They're not going to come back, and half the game is left. What do you do?
5: You, you say you you play defense once the team approaches the three point line. You don't pressure them out in front if they struggle with ball handling. If you get a steal, you walk it up. You don't take fast breaks. And then once you're into your offense, all all is good. Run your offense, be aggressive, rebound. But you don't need to take – you basically take away the fast break points, and you take away the steals off of pressure when you know you can completely smother your opponent.
3: Okay, and then let's say you're ahead by – you're ahead by sixty points. You, you, you've done all that, you, you, <laughs> right. you, know, you know, And I'm asking, I'm, you know, okay, yeah. you've still done all that, but you, you clearly, you know, it's a mismatch. So you're ahead by mm-hmm. by sixty points. Mm-hmm. What, what do you do then?
5: You know? Yeah, yeah. You you can't do anything so, at that point, and you know, at that point, if it's ninety to ten, and you've taken a few measures to try to show a little bit of compassion, then I say it is what it is. Yeah. Like the first caller said, if you don't want it like that, then
3: practice it. harder. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, fair, no, fair so, enough, Dan, and I, I appreciate that. I mean, they, I mean, I just, I, I think, and I, I mean, I wasn't at the game, so I, I can't. I mean, they they pulled the starters, that they, they put in the the second team, and then and then they would kind of rotate like five. They 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 they, they cleared the benches, you know, and they had people that were playing like that, and I, I mean, I guess it's it's just. It's tough for me to say, okay, well, here's what you're going to do. We want you to throw 10 pass. And that wasn't what Dan was saying. Dan was saying, okay, you you don't press. And my understanding is they stop pressing after at the halftime. I I just, at some point in time, when you have these situations and and one team is clearly far superior to the other one, there's only so much you can do. And that's why I would say that, you just end the game. If, if this is a concern, I think I've been consistent over the years with these things. If, if this is a concern, end the game. I do wonder, though, I mean, what, what's worse psychologically? Is it worse to just get your butt kicked and say, okay, well, this is what happened and we need to get better or, or maybe we need to just forfeit these games or avoid scheduling or things like that. Is, is that better than just to have the game getting your butt kicked really bad versus, um, just all of a sudden hey it 's ten minutes left in the game we 're behind by fifty points or whatever that number is, and, and we 're going to call off the game is it, what's what is more humiliating i i don 't know but it 's in in this case do, do they run up the score well they ran up the score, but i don 't get the idea see sometimes like I said in these football games, you get the stories where they got the star player and they 're trying to get him to score like ten touchdowns or whatever that doesn 't sound like what happened here. It just sounds like you have one team from essentially a similarly sized high, similar sized high schools, that was clearly better than the other team uh, it will be interesting to see what happens next year maybe there will be some payback
0: welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ
3: get your tickets now for Wisconsin's ultimate drive through holiday experience matter of fact John McCure and Melissa Barkley are are the way up there now. WTMJ is proud to support Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Wonderland in Grafton. Enjoy millions of lights, three mesmerizing light tunnels, hundreds of inflatables, a rink for ice skating villagers, a nativity scene, and so much more. To secure your spot now, text the word CHRISTMAS to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. It's Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Wonderland in Grafton. As we said, we're still um, waiting for the president who is running late, who will be making a major address on COVID. And we will be bringing that to you when, um, when that in fact occurs. All right. I, I said in the lead up to this that I, 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 I support and I agree with what they're saying, but there's, how does this work? All right. We, it is no secret that crime, when it comes to reckless driving and automobile thefts in the streets of Milwaukee is completely and totally out of control. I-, I checked just a couple minutes ago, the most recent numbers, which are always a couple days late from the Milwaukee Police Department, say that there's like 10,000, almost 10,200 cars that have been stolen this year in Milwaukee, 10,200 cars as of a, as of about a week or so ago. That was more cars that had been stolen in the city of Milwaukee than had been stolen in the city of Chicago. Not per capita. Chicago's five times bigger than Milwaukee, approximately. And Milwaukee has more cars stolen than Chicago does. And, you know, we, we, we know from the people that are arrested, uh, about half of those cars are stolen or by, by juveniles, 16 and, and under. And although, we don't have as good a handle on it because it's almost impossible to track down the records. My suspicion is that a vast or at least a good percentage of the cars that are being stolen are being stolen by the same people who are turned loose over and and over again to to do this. I mean, I don't think that there's, of the 10,000 cars stolen, I don't think that there's 10,000 car thieves. My guess is there's a much smaller number who keeps stealing these cars repeatedly. And one of the reasons why we'll never find this out is because with juveniles, You know, juvenile records are sealed, so it doesn't matter how many cars a kid steals. You know, we never find out what the disposition is. So a kid steals a car, and then the case gets no process. So he goes out, and two days later he steals another car, and this time they, I don't know, give him home detention. And then he goes out and steals another car four days later. You you never know, and unless and until the kids are waived into adult court, that only then do you find out the disposition of that case, but you can't find out how many cars the kid stole before that. So it this ongoing problem where you can't even figure out how bad it is. So into this comes the soon to be new mayor of Milwaukee, Cavalier Johnson, um, and, and he's he, I mean he, he's saying. What I think is the the right things. He says, look, we, we need to we need to crack down on reckless driving and car theft and stuff like that. So he says, Look, here's what I want to do. I want to I want to in I want to put in some more speed bumps. Okay. Some more traffic bump outs, which you know again makes it more difficult to drive at high rates of speed. And he says, Look, and I and then this is what I want to do. I, I want to hire a traffic coordinator position. Who will help the city eliminate traffic and pedestrian deaths. Okay, that's good. Then he says, Oh, here's what I want to do. I want to go out. I want to, you know, hire, you know, some retired detectives to go out and, and aggressively try to investigate these crimes. You know, he says enough is enough. It's enough of coddling dangerous drivers who are terrorizing the streets. It's enough of sitting idly by as cars are stolen by people of all ages and treating it like a meaningless uh, video game. Enough um, overall levels of dangerous driving in the street and violence. And and I agree with everything he said. Okay, and I have no problems with putting in more speed bumps and I have no problems with, you know, bringing in detectives to help try to solve these things. But there's a huge but here. And that is, unless you are going to confront the district attorney's office and the court system the juvenile court system and the adult court system unless you are going to bring about a change a sea change in attitude none of this is going to be worth anything the da's office will not waive juveniles into adult court regardless of how many cars they have stolen As a practical matter, the only way, as a juvenile, you get waived into adult court in connection with a stolen car is if you are fleeing the police at 95 miles an hour, you run through a red light and you hit and kill somebody. At that point in time, yeah, you get into adult court. But you're not going to waive juveniles into adult court. We're juvenile court judges bend over backwards to avoid sending the kids to lincoln hills there is almost no i don't want to say no but there are very few situations where you're going to have the juveniles that are going to be put in any sort of detention facility for any length of time they're not going to be waived into adult court Car theft is essentially treated as a victimless crime in the city of Milwaukee. And, and yes, I know that sounds stupid. I know that you are, you know, if your car is stolen, you are, in fact, the the victim. But the thinking is, well, it's not like somebody, you know, put a gun to your head and stole your car. That's carjacking. That's a little bit different. You know, you've got insurance, all those things. So there are essentially no penalties for stealing cars. So you can... I don't know that the problem with the car, the out of control, reckless driving. I don't know that the problem is that there's not enough cops, although I'm going to be the last person that would ever say, let's not increase police presence and stuff. But I will tell you, that's not where the problem in the criminal justice system is. Okay. at that point in time, let me keep that thought for a minute. President Biden is starting with his address to the nation.
1: And I want to start by acknowledging how tired, worried and frustrated I know you are. I know how you're feeling for many of you. This will be the first or even the second Christmas where you look across the table, be an empty kitchen chair there. Tens of millions have gotten sick. We've all experienced upheaval in our lives. But while COVID has been a tough adversary, we've shown that we're tougher. Tougher because we have the power of science and vaccines that prevent illness and save lives. And tougher because of our resolve so that let me answer some questions that lay uh, out the steps the vice president and i are taking to prepare for the rising number of cases experts tell us we can expect in the weeks ahead first how concerned should you be about omicron which is now the dominant variant in this country and it happened so quickly the answer is straightforward if you're not fully vaccinated You have good reason to be concerned. You're at a high risk of getting sick. And if you get sick, you're likely to spread it to others, including friends and family. The unvaccinated have a significantly higher risk of ending up in a hospital or even dying. Almost everyone who has died from COVID-19 in the past many months has been unvaccinated. Unvaccinated. But if you're you're among the majority of Americans who are fully vaccinated, and especially if you've gotten the booster shot, that third shot, you have much, much less reason to worry. You have a high degree of protection against severe illness. But because Omicron spreads so easily, we'll see some fully vaccinated people get COVID, potentially in large numbers. There will be positive cases in every office, even here in the White House, among the, unva- among the vaccinated, among the vaccinated from, from Omicron. But these cases are highly unlikely to lead to serious illness. Vaccinated people who get COVID may get ill, but they're protected from severe illness and death. That's why you should still remain vigilant. <clears throat> According to our doctors, even if you're fully vaccinated, you should wear a mask when indoors and in public settings. Wearing a mask provides extra protection for you and those around you. And I know some Americans are wondering if you can safely celebrate the holidays with your family and friends. The answer is yes, you can. If you and those you celebrate with are vaccinated, particularly if you've gotten your booster shot. If you are vaccinated and follow the precautions that we all know well, you should feel comfortable celebrating Christmas and the holidays as you planned it. You know, you've done the right thing. You can enjoy the holiday season. And thanks to the progress on vaccinations this fall, we've gone from nearly 90 million adults in July who had not even started their vaccination process to fewer than 40 million today. Still too many, but down from 90 to 40. All these people who have not been vaccinated, you have an obligation to yourselves, to your family, and quite frankly, I know I'll get criticized for this to your country. Get vaccinated now. it's free. It's convenient. I promise you it saves lives. And I honest to God believe it's your patriotic duty. Another question folks are asking is, what can you do to make yourself and your family feel safer and be safer? The answer is simple. Get your booster shot. Wear a mask. Our doctors have made it clear, booster shots provide the strongest of protection. Unfortunately, we still have tens of millions of people who are eligible for the booster shot, who have not yet gotten it. They've gotten the first two shots, but they've not gotten the booster. Folks, the booster shots are free and widely available. Over 60 million Americans, including 62 percent of eligible seniors, our most vulnerable group, have gotten their booster shots. I got my booster shot as soon as they were available. And just the other day, former President Trump announced he had gotten his booster shot. It may be one of the few things he and I agree on. People with booster shots are highly protected. Join them, join us. It's been six months or more since my second shot. If it's been six months or more for your second shot when I got my booster, you can get yours today. You've been six months or more since your second shot. Another question that folks are asking is, are we going back to March 2020? Not this last March 2021, but March 2020, when the pandemic first hit. That's what I keep getting asked. The answer is absolutely no, no. Here are three big differences between then and now. One, number one, first one, more than 200 million Americans have been fully vaccinated. In March of twenty twenty, no one was fully vaccinated. What that means is today as cases a case of COVID nineteen for fully vaccinated and boosted person will most likely mean no symptoms or mild ones similar to the common respiratory viruses. <clears throat> Over two hundred million Americans should have the peace of mind that they did not have in March of twenty twenty. They're protected from hospitalization, and are protected from death. Second point, we're prepared today for what's coming. In March of 2020, we were not ready. Today, we've we've stockpiled enough gowns, masks, and ventilators to deal with the surge of hospitalizations among the unvaccinated. Today, we're ready. And as I'll explain in a few minutes, we're going to be reinforcing our hospitals, helping them. Number three, we know a lot more today than we did back in March of 2020. For example, last year, we thought the only way to keep your children safe was to close, your, close our schools. Today, we know more and we have more resources to keep those schools open. We, you can get five to 11-year-olds vaccinated, a <clears throat> tool we didn't have until last month. Today, we don't have to shut down schools because of the case of COVID-19. Now, if a student tests positive, other students can take the test and stay in the classroom if they're not infected, rather than closing the whole school or having to quarantine. We can keep our K-12 through schools open. That's exactly what we should be doing. So, folks, let me summarize. We should all be concerned about Omicron, but not panicked. If you're fully vaccinated, and especially if you got your booster shot, you are highly protected. If you're unvaccinated you're at a higher risk of getting severely ill from covid 19 getting hospitalized and even dying so the best thing to do is get fully vaccinated and get your booster shot and no this is not march of 2020 200 million people are fully vaccinated we're prepared we know more we just have to stay focused so that's where we stand now let me tell you about the additional steps I'm ordering today to take on what is coming. I know you've heard a lot of this in the news already this morning. Three weeks ago, I laid out a COVID-19 action plan for this winter that prepared us for this moment. Today, we're making the plan even stronger. First, we're setting up our vaccination and booster efforts. We're stepping it up significantly. In the past two weeks, we've seen the highest vaccination rates since last spring. And we aren't as vaccinated as a country as we should be, though. That's why we have added 10,000 new vaccination sites on top of the 80,000 sites that are already we, had, we already had in place. And even more will open in January. I know there's some parts of this country where people are very eager to get their booster, where it's harder to get an appointment. Excuse me. <clears throat> so starting this week, I'll be deploying hundreds more vaccinators and more sites to help get the booster shots in people's arms. I've ordered FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, to stand up new pop up vaccination clinics all across the country where you can get that booster shot. We've opened, <coughs> excuse me, we've opened FEMA vaccination sites in Washington state and New Mexico recently as cases have increased. And today, I'm directing FEMA to stand up new sites in areas where there is a high demand. These steps are going to help us add more, more and more booster appointments, and over the, just over the next few weeks. I also want to say a word to parents: if your children are not vaccinated, please get them vaccinated. If you're a parent, understandably, who waited to see how the first shots went with other kids. Before getting your own kid vaccinated, you can stop waiting. Six million children in our country ages 5 to 11 are vaccinated. Get your children protected today, now. For those parents out there who have a child that's too young to be vaccinated, that is under the age of five, I know this can still be a scary time. But one thing, one thing you can and must do while we wait vaccines for children under five, get yourself fully vaccinated and boosted. As well as those around you, your children, your caregivers, your siblings. It's critical to mask up in public indoor places. We know that our youngest children have only rarely been impacted by serious COVID case, uh, COVID-19 cases. But they can be further protected if they're surrounded by vaccinated people. And again, to folks who are not vaccinated, you might think you're putting only yourself at risk. But it's your choice. Your choice is not just a choice about you. It affects other people. You're putting other people at risk. Your loved ones, your friends, neighbors, strangers you run into. And your choice can be the difference between life or death. The longer the virus is around, the more likely variants form that may be deadlier than the ones that have come before. Let me say again and again and again and again, please get vaccinated. It's the only responsible thing to do. Those who are not vaccinated are causing hospitals to overrun, become overrun again. I just spoke to the governor of New York. Every COVID-19 hospital means someone with a heart attack, cancer, or other serious illness may not get that bed and that life-saving care they need in the hospital. Look, let me give it to you straight again. Omicron is serious, potentially deadly business for unvaccinated people. Let me be clear. Thanks to the prior administration and our scientific community, America is one of the first countries to get the vaccine. And thanks to my administration and the hard work of Americans, we led a rollout that made America among the world leaders in getting shots in arms. But uptake slowed this summer as vaccine resistance among some hardened. Look, the unvaccinated are responsible for their own choices. But those choices have been fueled by dangerous misinformation on cable TV and social media. You know, these companies and personalities are making money by peddling lies and allowing misinformation that can kill their own customers and their own supporters. It's wrong. It's immoral. I call on the purveyors of these lies and misinformation to stop it. Stop it now. One of the other things that we know that has to be done is more testing. because Omicron spreads easily, especially among the unvaccinated, it's critically important that we know who's infected. That means we need more testing. And on that score, we're now where we should be. Yes, we have over 20,000 free testing sites. Yes, we've used the Defense Production Act and spent $3 billion to greatly expand the number of at-home tests available for purchase online and at your local pharmacy. And yes, we made sure insurance covers the PCR tests you get in the hospital or at your doctor's office. But starting next month, private insurance will also cover at-home testing so you can order a test online and get reimbursed. We're providing access to free at-home tests for those who may have insurance as well, may not have insurance, I should say, as well. But it's not enough. We have to do more. We have to do better. And we will. Starting this week, the federal government will set up emergency testing sites in areas that need additional testing capacity. Before Christmas, The first several of these federal testing sites will be up and running in New York City with many more to come. This free testing is going to help reduce the waiting lines, the time you have to stand there, and sometimes it's an hour or more. We're going to continue to add federal testing sites where needed so that if you want an immediate test, there'll be a place where you can go get it. We also need to do better with at-home testing. So I'm announcing today, the federal government will purchase one-half billion, that's not million, billion with a B, additional at-home rapid tests with delivery starting in January. We'll be getting these tests to Americans for free. And we'll have websites where you can get them delivered to your home. We've arranged for it to be easier for you to find a free COVID testing site near you on Google. Just enter COVID tests near me in the Google search bar. And you can find a number of different locations nearby where you can get tested. we're going to continue to use the Defense Production Act, as we did earlier this month, to make sure we're producing as many tests and as quickly as possible. The bottom line is it's a lot better than it was. But we're taking even more steps to make it easier to get tested and get tested for free. Next, We're preparing hospitals for what's coming. Those 40 unvaccinated adults have a good chance of getting COVID-19. And some of you will get very sick. That'll mean hospitals are going to get extremely stressed, extremely stressed again, both in terms of equipment, as well as personnel to care for those who get sick. That's why my administration has stockpiled and prepositioned millions of gowns gloves, masks, and ventilators. We call it PPP. We're ready to send them immediately to any state that needs more. In addition, I've directed the Pentagon to mobilize an additional 1,000 troops to be deployed to help staff local hospitals and expand capacity. That's 1,000 military doctors, nurses, and medics. We've already started moving military, excuse me, medical teams, They've already landed in Wisconsin, Indiana this week. This is on top of 300 federal medical medical personnel that are now on the ground, having deployed since we learned about Omicron. Look, while we know staffing is the biggest need for hospitals, some may need more beds as well. We're prepared. I directed FEMA to activate the National Response Center and begin deploying teams now provide additional hospital beds. We'll begin to construct emergency capacities near hospitals and parking garages and nearby buildings to be ready if needed. The federal government is paying for all of this, period, all of it. Further, FEMA will deploy hundreds of ambulances and EMS crews so that if one hospital fills up, we can transport patients to beds elsewhere. This week, We'll send dozens of ambulances to New York and Maine because because the COVID is spreading very rapidly to help transport patients. Our doctors, nurses, hospital staffs have gone above and beyond during this pandemic. The strain and stress is real. I really mean it, it's real. And we'll have their backs, though. We have to let them know we have their backs. Finally, we're making sure that COVID-19 no longer closes businesses or schools. Last week, the federal court reinstated my administration's vaccination or test. The vaccination or test rule for businesses with more than 100 employees. The rule requires employers with 100 or more employees to protect their workers who are on site and indoors with the requirement that they be vaccinated or tested each week or go home. These rules are going to keep workers safe and keep workers safe will help keep businesses open. When people are vaccinated or tested, they are much less likely to get sick and less likely to spread it to others. Customers are more likely to come in and shop because they know it's a safe environment. I know vaccination requirements are unpopular for many. they not even popular for those who are anxious to get them. My administration has put them in place not to control your life, but to save your life and the lives of others where 400,000 Americans died from COVID this calendar year. And almost all were unvaccinated. Almost all were preventable. The rule is legal and effective. It's going to save thousands of American lives. We must also keep our K-12 schools open. Look, the science is clear and overwhelming. We know how to keep our kids safe from COVID-19 in school. K-12 through schools should be open, and that safety is increased if schools require all adults who work in the schools to get vaccinated and take the safety measure that the CDC has recommended, including masking. I got Congress to pass billions of dollars in school improvements, ventilation, and social distances. Schools should be safer than ever from COVID-19. And just Friday, the CDC issued a test to stay guidelines so schools can stay open and kids can stay in class, even if a classmate test positive. COVID-19 is scary, but the science is clear. Children are safe as safe in schools. They are any place, assuming the appropriate precautions have been taken and they've already been funded. Let me close with this. I know you're tired. I really mean this, and I know you're frustrated. We all want this to be over. But we're still in it. And this is a critical moment. We also have more tools than we ever had before. We're ready. We'll get through this. As we head into the holidays, I want us to all keep the faith. I want to sincerely thank you for your perseverance, your courage, your countless acts of kindness, love, and sacrifice. During these last two years, throughout our history, we've been tested as a people and as a nation through war and turmoil. We had to ask whether we'd be safe, whether it'd be okay, whether we'd get back to who we are. We've always endured because, remember, there's no challenge too big for America. I mean this, from the bottom of my heart, no challenge. We've come through better and stronger because we stay together as the United States of America. That's what we have to keep doing today. We can do this together. I guarantee you. May God bless you all. And may God protect our troops. And happy holidays. God love you all. Thank you. Mr. President, Mr. President, Mr. President, I'm testing, i testing, sir. You
5: said we
4: have to do better, but public health officials have been saying for months you need to surge rapid tests for just this moment. Is it a failure that you don't have an adequate amount of tests for everyone to be able to get one if they need one right now? No, it's not,
1: because COVID is spreading so rapidly. If you notice, it just it just happened almost overnight, just in the last month. And so. I
0: mean, this question. No, Mr.
1: Brown. Oh, so, no, it's not a failure, but the alarm bell went off. I don't think anybody anticipated that this was going to be as rapidly spreading as it did. And so the question is, we had a lot of people who have access to the tests, who could order them, could, could uh, have their insurance pay for them, et cetera. But it all and all of a sudden, it was like everybody rushed to the counter. It was a big, big rush. And I knew that was coming. So what I tried to do is meet with the companies and use the uh, Defense Production Act to get a half a billion more tests and figure out how to get them to their homes, get them on the shelves in the store. I mean, so that, that that's what it's all about. Yes.
3: Hey, Mr. President, what's your message to Americans who are trying to get tested now and who are not able to get tested and who are wondering what took so long to ramp up testing?
1: Come on. What took so long?
3: I'm, I'm hearing that from people who are trying to get tested now before the holidays.
1: Well, what took so long it didn't take long at all. What happened was the Omicron virus spread even more rapidly than anybody thought. If I told you four weeks ago that this would spread by a day-to-day basis, it would spread by 50%, 100%, 200%, 500%. I think you would have looked at me and said, Biden, what are you drinking? But that's what it did. Now, we don't know what's going to happen from here. It looks, there, there's some evidence that in South Africa where a lot of this started, that it's dropping off quickly, too. We don't know. But I do know, that we're not going to be in a position, like I said, when we remember, we were having a problem with masks and gowns and the like. I said, I promise you, remember the criticism? I got questions from some of you. Why are you still paying for all these masks and gowns? Why are you stockpiling this? Because we don't know. It turns out we're going to need them. in the back and then
4: work, sir. And will you reverse the travel ban now that Omicron is
0: so prevalent here in the US?
1: I'm considering reversing. I'm going to talk with my team in the next couple of days um Look, remember why I said we put the travel ban on is to see how much time we had before it hit here so we could begin to decide what we needed by looking at what's happening in other countries. And but we're past that now. And so uh, it's something that is being raised with me by the docs and I'll have an answer for that soon.
0: about the importance
1: of keeping your word of trust. Do you believe Senator Manchin kept his word
5: to you? And how do you rebuild trust with progressives in your party to advance your legislation now?
1: You know, I told you before, you've heard me say this before. Some people think maybe I'm not Irish because I don't hold a grudge. Look, I want to get things done. I still think there's a possibility of getting Build Back better done. What I don't want to do is get into. And Joe went on TV today, and I don't know whether it's TV or not, I'm told he was speaking to the liberal caucus in the House and said, Joe Biden didn't mislead you, I misled you. And so, look, I, I'm not I'm not looking for, let me, let me say something. You saw what happened yesterday. All the talk about how my Build Back Better plan was going to increase inflation, going to cause these debts and all the like. What happened? Goldman Sachs and others said, if we don't pass Build Back Better, we're in trouble. Because it's going to grow the economy without it, we're not going to grow. And what happened? stock prices went way down. It took a real dip. If you take a look that I wasn't everybody thinks because I quoted 17 Nobel laureates saying this is going to help inflation. think about it in terms of you're a hard-working person and you're making 60 grand if you're alone or your mom or just on her own or if you're making 80 grand and mom and dad 90 grand like a lot of people do and you're worried about inflation you should be worried about because it's a devastating thing for people who are working class and middle class folks it really hurts where is most of the cost now the cost is finding in gasoline even though i put even though i was able to bring it down 12 cents a gallon will come down more i believe we talked about what the cost in food prices going up etc but look what's in look look what's in build back better child care you can reduce it by up to 70 percent that'll be the difference between 20 million women who go on back in the workforce being able to go back if you pass it we're talking about, about health care insulin in a system we got we got two hundred thousand kids with type 1 diabetes you know what it's costing it costs somewhere between 10 cents and 10 dollars to come up with a formula okay a while ago right you know what it's costing on average $560, $640 a month, up to $1,000 a month. What do you do if you're a mom and a dad working with minimum wage, busting your neck? You look at your kid, and you know if you don't get that vaccine for him, that, excuse me, if you don't get that drug for him, if you don't get that, 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 that be, be able to take that, what happens? The wife can go in a coma, maybe die. How long do you put the kid's life at stake? You strip away all the dignity of a parent looking at their child. I'm not joking about this. Imagine being a parent looking at a child and you can't afford. You have no house to borrow against. You have no savings. It's wrong. But all the things in that bill are going to reduce prices and cost for middle class and working class people, it's going to reduce their costs. What, what, what's inflation? Having to pay more than the money you have because things have gone up. Well, bring down all those costs across the board from child care to a child care tax credit. But I'm not supposed to be having this press conference right
0: now. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. President, president. Mr.
3: president, did Senator Manchin break his commitment to you
4: when you announced the framework? The White House says that all 50 senators were believed to get behind
3: it, all 50 Democratic senators. So, did Senator Manchin break his commitment to you?
1: Senator Manchin and I are going to get something done. Thank you. Do
0: you have Senate Senate still have the Sir, do you still have the card? the, with the, the
3: big Ukraine, sir. That was the equivalent of, of somebody coming out with a hook and just kind of pulling the president off. Um, interesting, about 30 minutes, uh, the president, most of his remarks, all of his prepared remarks addressed uh, de- dealing directly with the AI whole concept of COVID and uh, he repeatedly urged Americans who are not vaccinated to get vaccinated and people who are vaccinated. He urged people to get booster shots. He talked about how he would be rolling out more tests and the The plan was to actually create websites where you could get access to, you know, free testing for covid, which is delivered to your house. And then at the end, he decided to answer a couple questions, got sidetracked on the whole build back better thing. But uh, that was President Biden talking about, again, in, in an effort to urge Americans to get vaccinated, whether it moved the needle or not. Whether it's going to help the president with regard to um, his approval ratings, new poll out by Marist, uh, 41 percent, you know, 41 percent of Americans hold a positive view of his performance as president. I think, candidly, a lot of that is tied to covid and the frustration that people have that um, after two years, we're still dealing with this issue is it fair to blame donald trump for that is it fair to blame joe biden for it probably not it's mostly fair to blame the the virus as to how we try to cope with it let's take a break back with more in just a minute
2: live from the annex wealth management studios at historic radio city this is the jeff wagner show and now wtmj's jeff wagner
3: good afternoon wisconsin welcome back to the program. a lot of feedback from the, the president's speech. Um, yeah, I, I guess here, here, here's the reaction to this. I, the problem that President Biden has right now is that there aren't that many tools that are left back in the toolbox to, to, to pull out. I mean, I think that the general thinking all along with COVID has been that The vaccines were going to be the way out of this, and and ultimately they, they probably will be. But the problem he has is that you have a huge chunk of Americans who have made the decision not to get vaccinated. I hope we weren't playing the get vaccinated drinking game because you'd be under the table. And that's not to say that he's, he's wrong. I mean, he's encouraging. As I've said, I believe people should get vaccinated. I believe you should get your, your booster. And the, the president is asking people to do that repeatedly. The question becomes, is that going to move the needle and are the people who have Decided that they're not going to get vaccinated. Are they going to somehow suddenly change their positions on this? Because it, it look, you just can't, you can't argue with the reality that yes, it is true that if you're vaccinated and have your booster, you can still get some form of COVID. But it, it's unquestionable that your chances of being hospitalized and dying are are almost non existent. The people, by and large, that are filling up the hospital beds are people who are unvaccinated, which is the argument. And I don't think the president can say that enough, and he certainly said it a lot. I think his remarks about the, the increasing the amount of testing and the availability, I think that's a, I think that's a good idea. It's, it's tough to argue with that. As we talked about in the beginning of the program, my question is, what are the standards and when do you get tested? And, again, it's is it if you wake up in the morning and you've got a sinus headache, does that mean you treat it as COVID? I, I think there has to be some sort of balancing there. And, again, if, if people are not feeling well and you've got multiple symptoms, well, sure, you want to get tested. Um, it's just – I think there needs to be a better job of communicating to the American people when it is that you need to, you know, when is it that you should get tested? You know, during the 12 o'clock hour, we had one of the texters who said, well, I think that we should do this every day. It should just be part of your routine, like brushing your teeth, to which it's like, well, that's in the real world. we, We know that that is not going to happen. So how do we do it? But I certainly have no issue with trying to make more rapid tests available to the american people because that is one of the things if you're not feeling good and you want to know do I have a cold do i have a flu do i have some sort of virus or do i have covid you, you want to be able to check that out and you want to be able then to act accordingly so i have no issue with that the president um, referred to the appeals court last week affirming his right to order mandatory testing. This was his requirement on companies of over a thousand that um, employees have to be, have to um, be vaccinated or else they could fire people. That that one's going to fall apart. I think once that gets to the Supreme Court, there's no way the Supreme Court's going to uphold that. So the president is largely depending, I think, on, on people making the decision to voluntarily get vaccinated and making available the testing. And it's I, I don't know, in, in fairness, I, I don't know what else at this point in time you want the president to do. I think it was good news, and I was kind of watching the stock market on this. I think it's good news that the president came out and definitively said, we're not going back to March of twenty twenty. We're not going to shut down the country. and I, I think that's that's the right thing to do. I think the President also recognizes that if he were to do that, there would be widespread resistance. i don't I think we're past that in this country. I I just don't think you could sell a widespread shutdown like two years ago. And, and if the president's approval ratings at 41% now, that takes it down probably to 25%. So, I mean, and I, I give the president credit. And that's why I was watching the stock market and the stock market's up. Big today, not as that far down as it was yesterday, but that that's all good. And I think a lot of people in Wall Street were saying, "Okay, we don't want to hear the president talk about, you know, whether or not he's going to shut down the economy again." And he was very clear that that was not going to happen, and I think he deserves credit for that. I think again, the frustration, and I'm sure it's in the Biden administration as well. I, I don't think anybody knows exactly what to do. The president, in questioning, acknowledged that the. Omicron variant or Omicron variant or whatever you want to say, uh, surprised them that they they were not prepared for for this. They weren't prepared for the spread. They weren't prepared for how quickly the disease would get here, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, I give him credit for being candid. If Donald Trump had said that, you know, that would have been the headline. But that that's the truth. I think, you know, we're we're in uncharted territory when it comes with dealing with this virus. Will this speech move the needle at all? I don't know about that. But I do think if you get more rapid testing available to people, that that's a uh, that's a good thing. And, and yes, people are saying, well, you know, this is the taxpayers are going to pay for it. Yeah, the taxpayers is going to pay for it. But we all pay. We all pay if people who have covid go out into society and infect other people. So I really don't have any major beef with what the president said today. I, I don't know that it's going to make any changes. And unfortunately, from the pres- president's perspective, there's really there's not that much more they can do other than to urge people to, again, take precautions and try to convince those who have made the decision not to get vaccinated to rethink that position. Whether it'll work, time will tell.
2: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
3: This weekend is your next chance to hear the brand-new WTMJ Holiday Radio Show, It's a Wonderful Career, starring Gene Miller and the WTMJ players, plus surprise visits from fo- some of your favorite personalities around the Badger State. Tune in this Friday, that is Christmas Eve, at noon and 6 p.m., or tune in Sunday at 11 a.m. or 7 p.m. for the WTMJ Holiday Radio Show, It's a Wonderful Career, sponsored by Gruber Law Offices, Drake & Associates, and Dave Camp Heating and Benefiting, Capco's Kids to Kids Toy Drive. If you are wondering why the holiday radio show does not air on Saturday, which is Christmas Day, it's because the Green Bay Packers play the Cleveland Browns on Christmas Day, and you can hear that coverage here. Um, I got during the break, I I got a a text, which I, I I, I do think raises this issue, and it ties back to something we were talking about in the first hour of the program. Here's what the text says. Jeff, I am online right now. Trying to schedule a COVID test. I have had symptoms for a couple days. I don't know if it's a cold or COVID, but the problem is I can't find an appointment in Racine until December twenty sixth, which would be Sunday. Uh, that is not helpful. See, and this is this is if I were to give any advice to the, the medical community that's out there, until we have a system set up where the, the availability of rapid testing is such that anybody can get one any time and and we're not close to that at this point in time And I, I have no issue at all with testing. but the problem is I think we, we need to start establishing criteria that, that are understandable for when people get tested because as I was saying during the one o'clock hour of the program I mean I know people who it, this it is it is late December in Wisconsin, right? Can I see a show of hands? My guess is just routinely, you know, you, you wake up some morning and, and maybe you've got a sinus headache because the, the the barometric pressure changed, or maybe you've got a, a sniffle, or maybe because the air is dry, your throat's a little bit dry. And, and these are all like like normal sort of symptoms. Well, I, nowadays, I, I know people who have these, these various, I would say minor, ordinary sort of symptoms, who then all of a sudden to say, okay, is this COVID? And, and so then there's this rush to try to get testing. And it's not, again, a thing that, that should you get tested or not get tested. But for everybody that wakes up with a, oh, geez, I'm I'm always allergic to the dog. And now I've got a little couple sniffles and, and maybe this is COVID without any of the other things. then you run out and you get tested. And that, that's great if you can get access to it. But for every person who's that doing that, are you, are you taking a space away from somebody who's had multiple symptoms that, that could very well be COVID um, who who now can't get the test until like Sunday? So I do think that there, at least until we make sure that these various tests are available and easily accessible to anybody who wants one with any sort of reason, I, I do think it would be helpful to really kind of come out with some instructions telling people, all right, when, when do you get a test as opposed to, again, we had some texters saying, well, I think everybody should just test themselves every day. Well, all right, m- maybe that that's a good idea in theory, but does the system have enough capacity to deal with that? So I think that's one of the logistical things that we have to work out, including, all right, it's great to say you can get tested, but, but when – when exactly should people be tested? And in saying that, I understand it's not an easy question because you can be completely asymptomatic. You can forget the sniffle, forget the sinus headache, forget any of that. You can be completely, you could feel great. And and we know that you could still have COVID. So it's one of those difficult issues. But we we have to figure out, again, the the devil is in the details. Do I have any issue with providing as many free tests as you possibly can to people? Of course not. I think that makes eminent sense. The question just is, okay, how do we do triage and how do we prioritize it? John McCure, we're going to find out what he has on his mind in just a moment.